Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast. I sound a little echoey today because I'm recording in our conference room because I am a mom virtual learning. And so my son is in my office working with his para to get some extra work done. So I apologize about the audio. This is a topic today that we have podcast on for. However, it has proven to be one of our, this topic has been one of our number one podcast downloads since we launched Isaac's Autism Wild in, gosh, I guess it would have been in like 2018. The topic today is dirty looks in public. And as I said, this has been our number one download. And so I thought, you know, we should revisit this with a new group of parents uh, to just give us an example of times where they've been in public and they have been the recipient of dirty looks. And uh, before we started, Tanya needed a little bit of time because she has to think about pre-COVID because she's been in COVID for so long. And I just laughed because I still have examples of COVID times where um, we've had dirty looks in public. So uh, Fair, you didn't seem to need any time at all coming up with examples because you just chuckled. But you also have a few more years under your belt than some of the rest of us because you have an adult uh, child with autism. So we're going to start with Fair today. Give me some of your stories of the times you've experienced some dirty looks in public. Well, you know, and and for my experience, it was it was a little different. And, you know, looking back, um, a little more traumatic um, because Chase was not diagnosed until he was 15. And so he would have frequent meltdowns when we were out and about. And I didn't know, right? I didn't understand what was going on. And I didn't necessarily know where the problems were coming from, particularly when he was much smaller, when he was little, um, which he definitely had them, you know. I remember being, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we've all been there in Target and, you know, he's on the ground and he's having a total meltdown and he's kicking and screaming and, and yelling and crying. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, can we please just leave and get out of here? But, you know, you don't want to be the mom who's dragging the child, you know, by his foot through, <laughs> through the aisles. But yeah. And, and, I remember having a couple of people stopping and looking at me and like, get your child under control. That is, you know, why can't you, you know, why is he behaving this way? And it's embarrassing. And you think it's definitely uh, that they're looking at you and judging your parenting skills and your discipline. And why are you letting him do this? And, 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 it, and all these things run through your head and it happened, you know, over and over again and at a restaurant when you know we many times we would we would have trouble at restaurants and we'd have to leave and um you know and and everybody's sitting there looking at you thinking get your screaming child out of out of the restaurant so I can eat in peace and and I think not knowing his his full issues 
I took it on very personally and very much as, well, I am screwing up as a parent because why didn't I see this coming or how could I have prevented this or, you know, what, how could I have done it differently? And, and I'll, I'll tell you another time, not me personally, but, but my brother also has autism and, and, um, and possibly down syndrome too, but he's much more uh, significantly intellectually affected and it's obvious with him, but uh, and he's 47. So this was a long time ago, but um, I'll never forget. My dad one time had to get him out of a Baskin Robbins and he was having a complete meltdown and, and my dad grabbed his hair. Now he didn't pull him by the hair. Yeah. He just kind of grabbed him to, you know, direct him. He wasn't dragging him by the hair, but it was, you know, a way to get a hold of him and get his attention. And he got so many dirty looks and not only did he get dirty looks, someone called CPS on him, <laughs> Child Protective Services. And, and he this got a call. a long time like, ago. So that's pretty yeah, actually, yeah, this uh, was progressive. Like, yeah. I mean, my, my dad, you know, my, like I said, my brother's 47. So this was probably 40 years ago. He was probably seven or eight. And even, yeah. And even then, and my parents didn't know cause they did, he didn't really have a a full diagnosis either. And it really wasn't as, as understood back then either, but he would have terrible meltdowns out in public. And, and I remember, you know, as the sister who was with him seven years old, and I mean, I'm seven years older than him. So I knew, right. It was embarrassing at the time, but also like, ah, you know, now everybody's looking at us and, Mm -hmm. um, and you just want to shrink and just run away. Um, that's exactly so I've, I mean, I've experienced it across the board as a sibling and as a parent and, and you just don't know what to do. And now, now that I know I, whenever I see someone like that in public, I give them the most compassionate and understanding look I can. And even if I can, I'll offer, I'll say, can I help you with anything? Can I, you know, can I do anything for you? Um, because now I know, and I know how it feels. So I try to at least be understanding and helpful when I can. But yes, it has happened. And, and you know, it doesn't happen now at 23. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I will tell you, that was actually going to be my next question. How can the public support us? And I have to be honest, you touched on it right there, is, is that if someone would just give me a warm smile or even just the, the air heart, like, hey, I get it. Like you're doing, you know, chin up because this is hard. Wouldn't that be something? Because again, it's the acknowledgement that you're not blaming me as a parent because of my child's behavior. It's the like, Hey, you know, I get it. Like, you know, almost even the, um, the hunger games, like symbol, like, Hey, you know, I get it because that's really, it's so uncomfortable and you can't, you can't see into the mind of the people that are looking at you. And also too, I think sometimes I perceive that they are giving me dirty looks or judgmental looks. And maybe that's really not the look that they're giving me, but they don't, maybe it's shock. Maybe it's like concern, who knows what it is, but it really feels like you're being judged. And so I, I definitely agree with you there where, you know, trying to be, if the public could do something to help us, or if other special needs parents, here's thing. Other special needs parents, when they see that, they're just like, oh, here are my people. And you don't, we don't immediately jump to conclusion that this is bad parenting or a child that's just, you know, out of control. We have, we have the benefit, we give people the benefit of the doubt. Whereas I think 
other individuals in our community don't necessarily do that immediately. So I appreciate that feedback. Chevy, are you to a place where you can share? Yes. No, I can. (laughs) Oh, perfect. So my daughter, Kira, she's now six. She's actually, you know, had a growth spurt in the last year or so. So she's actually starting to look a little bit more like a six-year-old and not like a toddler. She's always been so small. But yeah, I'm trying to think of, I mean, obviously we've had experiences with, you know, the dirty looks. You know, I think the first thing is, and I think we've talked about this in previous podcasts, is that, you know, she doesn't have that look right? Like people see her, she looks like a neurotypical six-year-old and they assume, you know, the behavior and how she should be acting at that age. And, you know, developmentally, she's definitely not. (laughs) So we, you know, meltdowns, getting into loops with things, or maybe, you know, she, I, I always get nervous. I think when we grocery shop, because I, I feel like that's just a place of judgment, right? The child asks for something and um, she's dead set on, she wants this thing. And I'm thinking in my head, well, I would way rather her just have this thing than a meltdown. So even sometimes it's not even bad behavior. Sometimes it's just judgment of like, are people judging me because I look like I'm just, you know, I'm, I have the bratty child that I'm just saying yes to sometimes. So it's not always bad behavior, but they don't know that I'm saving them a lot of, I'm saving their ears from a massive meltdown, right? If she was able to get, get that item and it's, you know, not really worth the whole, you know, rigmarole we'd have to go through to get her out of that meltdown state. If she decided to go there, if she didn't get something she wanted, I would say pre-COVID, one of the biggest areas I would stress about would be planes. And we're going to get to have that experience on Saturday because we're actually going on a family trip to Arizona. But planes, you're in a trapped environment. So you can't really, there's no escape route when you decide, oh, we need a break. We're just going to leave. We don't really get that option on a plane because you have to stay, you know, in a kind of secluded area. Yeah, we've definitely had the dirty looks on planes of her either being too loud too. you know, I'm actually the state where I usually will tell people around this like, hey, just so you know, my child is kicking the back of your seat or moving the tray up and down continuously or uh, stimming, right? Cause she's a very loud stimmer mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of, I kind of try to pre-prep them because we've dealt with experiences in the past. We get the really dirty looks like from across other aisles and people like, you know, why can't they just, you know, control their kids? And like, it's always bad enough being in, you know, cause there's kids on this flight. So we've actually had to get to the position of kind of pre-prepping the people that are kind of in front and behind us, um, just so we can avoid some of those dirty looks and the judgments, because once you tell them their patience level goes so much higher. <laughs> I think when they don't know. Well, okay. So I'm actually so glad that you brought this up because traveling was one of the things I was going to bring up. And, um, so with, so this is where we're at. You, you are absolutely right. Um, your daughter is just, she looks neurotypical and she is cute and adorable. And so I think immediately, you know, when you're traveling on an airplane, I think there's the immediate, like people are like, Oh, great. I have a kid sitting next to me. So there's already that, but then, you know, and I think preemptively telling people around you that my child has autism. So she does X, Y, and Z. We apologize. We're going to try and, you know, keep a tight control on this, but just, you know, we would appreciate your patience and understanding. I think that's so wonderful. You know, where we because we, I haven't had to take Cooper on an airplane, but you know, Cooper is going to be 18 in May and he, it doesn't take long because of just how he posturally um, presents and his stimming is constant and he's constantly making noises. It's pretty obvious within moments of people seeing him that he is a person with a disability and where we get the dirty looks is when we go to sporting events and all of a sudden you're packed in there. This is before COVID. 
where you're packed in there, here's your assigned seat, and you have all these people in close proximity to you. And then you can see us coming in and they immediately recognize that there's an adult there with a disability and he moves and he fidgets and he makes noises. And it's not a dirty look, but it's the, the look expression on their face is like, oh man, this is gonna not, you know what I mean? It's just like that disappointment that like, oh great. You know what I mean? And that's where it immediately, like, I can't I even get teary just talking about it because it's not that they're giving us a dirty look. It's just the like, oh, here we go. Kind of a thing where now we have to, you know, participate in this sporting event, whether it's a graduation where, or something that has to be, you know, somewhat quiet. And you could just see that it's like people perception is that this is going to be a drag and, you know, we can't always control what's going to happen. And we, you know, also try and get him up and move him around because if he sits too long, obviously, you know, it gets more problematic, but then you're having people having to move to let you out. And it's just, it's, I just talking about it. Like, I feel like I'm getting splotchy just talking about it because it's just very anxiety driven to me. And so when you go to like a chief's hockey game here, that's what we have here in Spokane. It's, I have less stress because that's kind of like people are standing up and it's, it's, you can be louder and, you know, there tends to be a lot of kids in attendance there. It's when you go to the things that it's it's required for you to be quiet because there's someone speaking that really give me pause because it just creates it's and again it's not necessarily a dirty look it's just that like oh gosh this is going to be really inconvenient and the nice thing about when you go to like the arena or the convention center you know i have gone and talked to uh you know like we were at the Spokane Indians games not too long ago and we were clearly annoying some people and so i just went and i talked to the you know the staff there that you know helped like the crowd you know people and i just said you know i think we have some unhappy people because you know we're a family that has a disability and they offered those people different seats so that they could move. Cause it tends to be more of the older people that just don't have as much patience because they just want to watch their baseball game and they don't want to get jostled. They don't want to move around. And so baseball games make me a little bit more stressed out. So they have offered other seating options to other people around us. And it's like I said, it's, it's just that it just sucks. I have to be honest with you because again, you have people captured and they can't get away from you when you're on an airplane or you're at a sporting event. And it just is a big bummer. And so I, I really think for you, you know, for you, Kira, Kira's young and she's cute. And so I don't know if, you know, you get more grace, but I feel like as, as Cooper's gotten older, like we don't, especially in those environments, we don't, he's not the cute kid with a disability that people will overlook, it becomes, I don't know, like you you would think he's obviously disabled, but still, I don't think there's as much grace as they get older. Whereas when they're cute, maybe, you know, and they're young, there's a little bit more grace because kids will be kids. Farrah, did you have, you reminded me of, of two things. One, we had a really bad experience in an airplane. And when Chase was, and everybody was standing up and you're, And, you know, it's dead silent and everybody's waiting to get off the plane. And he was anxious and and just he had done really well up till then. And then he just started kind of he was talking loudly and he was being kind of rude to me. And I knew where it was coming from. You know, I knew it was coming from anxiety. But everybody else looks looks back at me and they're like, I can't believe your teenager just said that to you. And I'm like, you know, and you're trying to let's keep it quiet. We'll talk about when we get off, you know. And it was, it was mortifying. Yeah. And, but secondly, too, where actually where it still happens. And I, like you said, so Chase is a big guy, right? And now he's, he's even bigger. He's like six, three, you know, 
300 pounds, full beard, balding. He looks like he's 30, right? Well, when we go into movies, he laughs loudly. He can't help it. I mean, he just, but he laughs so loud or he'll repeat a line that has just been said or he'll want to kind of talk back, right? And, and it's fine when we're at home, but he loves to go to theaters back when everybody went to theaters, right? Pre-COVID. Yeah. And I always had a hard time. I'm always like, shh, 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 not too loud, you know, shh, shh, shh. And I'm still shut. And I feel bad because he's he's just trying to enjoy the movie. But I know everybody else is too. And that can bother people. And and one day I did, and, and you do have people turn around and look at you. And one day we were in the theater and there was another girl who was doing the exact same thing. And I just thought, oh, I know exactly where she's coming from. You know, I know, I know, I know, you know, she's my child only in a girl. And so it didn't bother me because I knew and it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me watching the film, but it bothers me knowing that it's bothering other people. Yes. And I think and, and that they're looking head. at you like, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Good. Jenny, I want to share, circle back. Have you ever had anyone on an airplane when you have a captured audience where they just are not, they can't have grace? Because you travel probably, you and, and Tanya are two traveler people, but your husband's from, um, you guys travel overseas. Yes. So have you so had- we've never had anybody say anything to us. It's been more like the dirty looks and just the like, you know, oh, they're up again. You know, like, you know, we had to do a nine and a half hour flight with Kira. And uh, after that uh, flight and also her not adjusting to time difference for an entire week, we were like, yeah, so we're going to shelf international travel for a couple of years. That was not a super fun experience. But, you know, we were up and down a lot and trying to just keep her entertained and not, you know, stimming super loudly. And so, I mean, you know, we definitely got the like turning around in the seats and then like, excuse me, you know, comments, things like that. Um, But we've never had anybody be like, I guess, blatantly rude. Again, she looks littler. So I guess they would more be assuming, you know, oh, they just have an unruly toddler that they just can't, you know, control. (laughs) <laughs> Correct. Has the airplane staff been pretty supportive? Do they, do you feel like they have the skills to be able to support you as a special needs parents, or do you feel like they just kind of let it go and make you have you figure out how to help that help your child? We've had mixed, we've had mixed airport experiences. I think for the most part, if we communicate, Hey, you know, she has autism, uh, they're usually pretty patient and like kind of trying to be, you know, helpful and see if we need anything and things like that. Um, we did have one really bad experience and Kira was mid diagnosis. So we didn't have like the official, I guess, autism title at the time. All we knew is that she was struggling and then she had speech delay and developmental delay, but didn't know exactly what that was. And, uh, she, I think just had turned, you know, she was just over two years old. So it was like the, you know, them needing to be in their own seatbelt versus sitting on our lap issue. And we had a flight attendant who was super rude to us and was like, basically like, yeah, we will deplane um, if she does not get her seatbelt on. The whole plane's waiting. Like oh, was very Lord. just like that whole, you know, situation because I want her on my lap. And I was like, well, she'll wear the belt if I'm, she's on my lap. And she's like, well, she's over too. So that's not acceptable. And we will deplane. And it was like this whole drama and like the plane's literally waiting for her to get her belt on and of course we didn't know that she had autism at the time we just knew she had challenges so Mm -hmm. I was pretty much in tears and we finally got her in the belt and she was screaming her head off 
um, we got up in the air and I was just like, wow, okay, this is, uh, yeah, this, this is going to be travel. fun. Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> so I can't say it's always been like amazing, but I think it definitely helps to have something to be able to say like, hey, just so you can anticipate, like there's going to be challenges here and we will do our best, but you need to just be aware of this and be patient because we're doing what we can. Exactly. I so agree with you on that. Tanya, how about you? You have been doing this for a few years and you're in the same boat I am with my son, Caleb. So that more invisible disability. And I don't know about you, but I feel like because Caleb's autism affects him in a more invisible way, it's like, he's not like Cooper and doesn't do a lot of self-stimming behavior that people can observe. He, people have far less grace when it comes to situations that involve him. I see Farrah's uh, nodding her head in agreement because she's experienced that too. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tanya? How, what type of experiences have you had with dirty looks in public? Um, well, I completely agree with you, Holly. Logan's 10 and his, um, Disability is very, very invisible. He looks very typical. He is very verbal. He's conversational. He is social. So people's expectations of him, even in the school system where they know he has autism, their expectations are that he should be able to, he shouldn't have quite the challenges that he does at times because they just expect more of him because for him, it is so invisible. Like his internal struggle and his, it's all very internalized in him and they just expect more of him because he can verbalize. And that doesn't mean, but when he's in flight or flight mode, his ability, even though he has words and he has a ton of words, his ability to verbalize what's going on in his brain at that time, it's gone. And he just panics. Even within people who know he has autism, their expectations sometimes are like just completely high. But as far as dirty looks in public, um, we've been pretty fortunate. He actually is a pretty, pretty good at going out and has been. I will say my husband and I do a really good job as far as like, I can't remember the last time we took either of our kids grocery shopping. We kind of divide and conquer. So we usually have one stay at home with the kids and one of us grocery shops. If we're doing errands together, we make our errands outings short. And we always try to like add something fun to it, like stopping at Starbucks and getting a cookie or something, trying to make it more like the desirable thing. So we don't get a lot of, um, so we haven't had to deal, we've been very fortunate. We haven't had to deal with a lot of meltdowns as far as in stores, but where we get dirty looks more is at the park and playground because Logan's now 10. And so his ability, he's very social, but his ability to play appropriately isn't always there. And so where most of it comes from is sometimes from other parents because he doesn't know how to always appropriately play with other kids. And so, um, yeah, I don't know about of- you, Tanya, uh, in, in that context where I also feel like I've gotten dirty looks in public from other parents is in those situations because Caleb hasn't been a great turn taker. He really struggles mm-hmm. with turn taking and being patient. And so then yes. when you're in those contexts or play dates, or, uh, you know, even when you're on field trips and you happen to be a chaperone, ugh, my worst nightmare, but I tend to try and chaperone Caleb's field trips more because I feel like sometimes I may have to run interference and I, 
probably have the better skill set because I feel like teachers have so much going on during field trips that, so I do try to chaperone, but that's where I find, I, I feel very judged and I have dirty looks from other parents is in playground contexts. And even when they're chaperones, cause you're on a field trip, because again, they don't, they're, they just have a hard time. Number one, it's a change of routine. There's a lot of unexpected things and, you know, you do your best to you know, a playground is very unstructured. And so then it is, I think, even a little bit harder for Caleb to feel like he can be a good turn taker because in a playground environment, you know, it's playground rules. So there's no one really there that's yes. sure everyone has an equal number of turns. And as Tanya, I think you'll agree, turn taking and everything being fair is like number one priority for my kid because he's a big rule follower and it just has to be fair. And, and oh, see, Logan sometimes has trouble following like the set rules because he either doesn't know them or he just doesn't understand. So sometimes for him, it's trouble just following the rules of a game. Yes. But in playground world, people expect you to be able to at his age. Yes. But in playground rules, you don't have someone there that's explaining and helping to Mm -hmm. mediate, you know, like when they're just at a playground for just open play and it's not recess and there's no one there that can mediate. So I feel like there's in that context, I get um, definitely dirty looks from little kids. And then, especially when I have to step in and try and help mediate something, then it's kind of like, oh man, like your mom sucks, you know? (laughs) Well, thank you, young man. Yes, I guess I do suck. But you have to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what else to do. You try and step back and let them figure it out. But you also know that part of autism is that they struggle with those social contexts mm-hmm. and social reciprocity. I have trouble sometimes with whether or not to be a like helicopter parenting at times. I'm like, should I intervene? Should I step back and see if I, he can figure it out? And my first instinct is usually always to intervene. And sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, should I really let him? Because then he's not learning necessarily to problem solve. But then I'm like, at what point should I step in? And so I do tend to helicopter parent at the park with him. Yes. And okay. So now you brought, you want to cut it off before you want to cut it off before it gets too bad. Right. Yes, exactly. I totally agree. And I have gotten a lot of criticisms throughout my parenting career that I'm a helicopter parent and I need to, you know, and, and it's, you know, I'll have, usually it's, it's the retired school teachers that are grandmas that are hanging out at the park or somehow like in our circle that will talk to me about helicopter parenting and how, you know, that's not the best option, which then of course it's like, yeah, that's great for neurotypical kids, but my child's not neurotypical. And so I have to be, you know, I have to intervene more frequently. So Taylor, I see you have some information you want to share with us. Now give us a little bit of background, Taylor. You haven't been on as many podcast. So can you just share a little bit about who you are and your lovely daughter? I'm Taylor. I'm 29. I have had autism since I was five. And then I have a almost eight-year-old daughter and she is, she's autistic and ADHD. So she's not the quiet autistic child. She's the more hyperactive, but also gets overwhelmed kind of kiddo. Oh, I play ground, dirty looks, ordeal. That's the one where I struggle the most, um, me and her both, uh, because um, she doesn't know always how to socialize because she tends to over-socialize and parents and kids think she's bossy or that she's not respecting boundaries or being rude. And I have to And I feel like I have to always explain to parents or kiddos beforehand, hey, this is just kind of how my daughter is. She's not doing it to be rude or mean. 
you know, if there's a problem, just gently talk to her and she'll redirect. But, but, it, and I, it's sad because I feel like I always have to warn people because if I don't, I will, me and her will both get kind of attacked in a sense. And so it's very hard. And I have that same thing with the helicopter parent ordeal, like, do I, or do I not? Which situation it's very, very tough and hard. And, and sometimes it has intimidated me from going out in public in general. And it, I, and I, so I get isolated and we both feel isolated and then I got to stop feeling that way because in the end you're with a helicopter, there's people that will judge you for over parenting, you know, helicopter parenting. There's people that judge you if you don't step in enough. So really in that situation, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. So you kind of have to just go with your gut and say, screw it. Good <laughs> because there's always going to be that one where you're doing, where you're, where you're doing too much or not enough. So there's never going to be a, you're never going to make someone happy. You're, you're just not, you're it's, never not, pos- make it's everybody not possible. Happy. Yeah. You're never going to make everybody happy at the same time. So there was a presidential quote and I can't remember which president said it. It's you can make some of the people happy part of the time and part of the people happy some of the time, but you'll never make all of the people happy all of the time. And it's so true in all aspects of life. You can't win either way. And I find that, you know, like one time it's like, okay, I'll handle the situation this way. And then it's like, whoo, that didn't go the way that I would have liked, or you got a dirty look or people giving you co-parent coaching and, you know, suggestions. So then the next time you do it this other way, and then that still doesn't get you the risk. Okay. That wasn't quite right either. So then it's kind of like the next, the third time it's like, okay, what do I go from here? So um, I'm going to hop over back to Tanya. Tanya's got to take off and and do some more uh, online parenting, virtual learning parenting. And so is there anything else you want to add before you have to hop off with us, Tanya? I appreciate that you gave up part of your morning to be with us to podcast on this. Um, Not really. I mean, like Chevy, we travel a lot. So it's, um, it is harder when you're in an enclosed space. So I'm one of those, and we fortunately have had very positive for the most part, travel experiences in airports. They're very understanding. I'm always upfront. They let us board the plane first, even though Logan's higher functioning, but being in a crowd and he has anxiety, I'm like, you know, it's just easier to get him settled instead of having to wait in the line to board the plane. And they've always, I've never had any problems with them questioning me. They always let us get on the plane first. I pack a million things for him to do and eat. And like Chevy, I know my husband, while not, is not from another country, but his mom is. And so we were planning at some point a really big trip, which is a little nerve wracking to Australia because she's Australian. Um, oh, I'll no. be out in a second, Logan. It's time for him to go to group. That's why he's, oh, no he's very much, he's very, very time oriented. I love that he's about very him. time oriented. He Sorry, Logan, like, that I'm taking up yes. your time. Yeah. So we're going to go, be going to Australia at some point. And so I'm extremely nervous because that's a really long flight. We did Hawaii a couple of years ago as a starting point to see how they did. And actually, Logan did actually okay on it. I was a little concerned coming back with a little bit rough because it was an overnight flight. He already has issues with sleeping. Yeah. And so he obviously did not really sleep on the flight. So we would just let him watch. We just let him watch movies the whole way back. But yeah, whatever keeps him happy. Agreed. I see no problems. And we're going to seats where they can fold out into a bed kind of. And so we're hopeful that that will hopefully 
help with him being able to sleep on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really smart. Well, thank you, Tanya. I'll let you get to um, Logan so that he can get to his group, but thanks for joining us. I want to circle back really no quick. Problem. To Farah. One of the questions I want to ask is if you had to rate, and I'll, I'm going to tell you guys the question and then think about this and I'll answer it. First, so you guys have time to kind of think about the question. But if you had to rate where you most often get the dirty looks, I would be curious, meaning, um, you know, like restaurants, uh, shopping, sporting events, planes, you know, that sort of thing. Be, you know, if you had to rate playgrounds were one that we just talked about, if you had to rate where you got the most dirty looks, I am. So I'm going to give you a little moment to think. So for us, I find that where we get the most dirty looks would be shopping for our, my stepson Cooper. One of the reasons why we get dirty looks and again, I think by far, we get far more grace with Cooper in terms of behaviors than we do with my son, Caleb. But for, for us, I would say shopping, we still get a fair amount of dirty looks because there's the, I want something and you can't have it. But then also to some of, you know, Cooper doesn't wear his, his mask correctly, or we, you know, he is a, unfortunately he's a nose picker. And then unfortunately, sometimes it ends up going into his mouth. And so that gets a lot of people's dirty looks, especially during world of COVID, because, you know, there are a lot of people that are very, you know, stringent about their expectations of how other people wear their masks. So he'll keep it on, but he tends to want to have his nose out. Um, or then too. So, you know, we do use hand sanitizer because if I catch him doing that, obviously we hand sanitize because then you don't want him touching things, which I clearly understand. So shopping would be probably the place where, because we do it so frequently and we do try and take Cooper because it's a life skill that we're trying to make sure that we're getting him comfortable with and being able to tolerate. The second one would be restaurants. And I get more problems in restaurants because of Caleb. Caleb is just really, he doesn't like going to new restaurants. He doesn't like eating in the restaurants. And so when wheels come off the wagon, we will by far have more problems in restaurants where I feel like we're getting uh, dirty looks. And then I would say sporting events. We don't tend to do that you know, like where you have to be in like plays, sporting events, that sort of thing would be the third, because like I said, I just can look around and just see people inwardly cringing because we're sitting down and they just know it's going to be a handful. And so that would be my hierarchy. So Farah, if you had to rate where you feel like, oh, playgrounds are also on, I would say, actually, I forgot about playgrounds, but I would say playgrounds would be, it would be shopping, playgrounds, restaurants, and like shot sporting events um, is where I feel like we, the hierarchy. What about you, Farah, when you think about kind of where you tend to have the most trouble with dirty looks when he was younger i would say restaurants and shopping restaurants because his his behavior would usually be the worst when he's hungry yes and so the leading up to getting served and getting the food when he's hungry and he wants to eat right now and and so restaurants were were difficult and and people don't like to be disturbed or distracted when they're at a restaurant. They, I know, isn't that weird? Tolerance, I think. <laughs> I think their tolerance is lower too, maybe because they're hungry and cranky as well. I don't know, but restaurants were the worst when he was younger and and movie theaters just because he is he is loud. He he laughs and he talks and he and it's a very quiet uh you know everybody else is quiet usually. And and I have to say, you know, I'm I'm annoyed at movie theaters when neurotypical people like teenagers who are just being 
you know, yeah, obnoxious when they're talking. Yeah, nobody likes that, right? And so, but because it chases doesn't look like there's anything wrong with him. He looks neurotypical. People give give him dirty looks all the time um, in theaters because they think, well, he should know better. And he does, you know, it's just kind of that reaction, right? And how can you, it's hard to control a laugh. I mean, he has this great laugh and I love to hear him belly laugh, but it can be very loud. Um, And so I would say those two were probably the most. And then when he was little shopping, because he hated shopping. And so I tried to, you know, do it as little as possible. But um, but there were a fair number of meltdowns when we were shopping. And, And you do, you know, then you have the typical okay, fine. You can have it. Just please don't, you know, you end up spoiling, spoiling them or, or, you know, you get the looks of, oh, she gave in, you know, because he was having a temper tantrum. And it's like, no, it wasn't just a temper tantrum. It was well on its way to a meltdown. And if this can cut it off at the pass, I'm happy to, happy to do it. But it looks like you're just spoiling and can't say no. Yeah. So yes, those, those times where you'd often get dirty looks. Um, Chevy, I'm going to circle back to you. You are, you had to take a little siesta there for a moment, taking care of something. I would definitely say shopping definitely would be probably our number one most common place. So probably shopping events, you know, airports, travel are probably, I'd say the shopping just because we're, that's something we're doing more frequently, right? Yeah. So it's like a weekly thing versus some of these other, obviously events are not happening as much and travel is not happening as much. And I feel like in playground setting, it's, it's a little bit more accepted because, you know, kids are outside and things like that. So, you know, and we even have to navigate there sometimes with playgrounds because uh, Kira does not have a bubble. So, you know, she sees another kid on a toy or something. She's just like, oh, I'm just going to go join you. <laughs> She's oh, like yeah. zero, you know. I was going to do a follow-up question to your playground uh, comment is, and actually this is a really good one with Taylor too, because you guys have younger kiddos that, you know, probably are playing more on a playground, but, and so this is during COVID. Um, and I don't know Taylor, how Taylor, how Skylar's bubble space is when it comes to her peers, but Chevy, you led right into this is that Kira doesn't have a bubble space. And so how has that impacted? Like, do you get dirty looks from other people because your child doesn't have a bubble and they're getting up close and they can't, they're not six feet apart. It's like, what? Like they want to be like one foot apart. You were talking a little bit about that Chevy, but has that been something that has been an issue with dirty looks just in terms of respecting the six feet distance? Yeah, I mean, that's been interesting to navigate as well, because again, Kira does not have that like innate kind of bubble space. She will go up and hold someone's hand or give them a hug or grab their leg. Or, you know, she's just very comfortable around people and just not have that, you know, but we're only going to have that for so long. Um, but, but yeah, I think people are a little bit more nervous. But yeah. I have to say he's probably a little more nervous and a little bit more panicked of that, like kind of, you know, oh, they're touching me or they're too close or they're too close to my child. So it's been interesting to navigate. 
I agree. Now, one of the things I love about your daughter is uh, it was actually last uh, Cinco de Mayo. Um, you you came to pick up your chips and and salsa, and she jumped on and just gave me the most beautiful, wonderful hug. And I just loved it so much. It was just so like cathartic, and it was so enjoyable. But then I felt so guilty because I'm like, oh gosh, we are not respecting social distancing. And that was you know a year ago, so it was obviously real heightened aware and about, but I have to tell you, you're, that's one of the reasons why I love Kira so much is because she just like, is she's a great hugger. She's a fantastic hugger. And I love that about her, but yes, during COVID, obviously as a mom, I was like, oh gosh, I hope, you know, Chevy's not completely like stressing out right now because, you know, I don't have COVID, but you know, it felt, it sure felt good, Chevy. So I appreciated that. That's actually how she got COVID for my husband. (laughs) She she wanted one of those hugs so bad. So bad. We were attempting to keep him quarantined in our bedroom. And I think he, she kept trying to break it. She tried to do the jailbreak anytime he forgot to lock the door. So she had to go in there and get one of her hugs. And I think she, one of the times when he was sleeping, she just like, got into bed like curled up and like he's like oh god <laughs> yeah like, god bless her yeah <laughs> she's just she's sensory right and she's oh, right. on the opposite end where she wants it all yep she needs that deep pressure and I was happy to give it to her that day because I needed it too so we were like quite the little pair but um Taylor how Skylar doesn't she she's how is she did with the bubble space does she like bubble space does she understand bubble space does she not give two hoots about a bubble space no she struggles with bubble space and boundaries autism is a very it's very diverse you know it's not just when people think autism they think they're quiet and uh, they they distance themselves oh that's me that's not my daughter yes my daughter's a social boundary breaking type of autistic kiddo I think a part of that's the ADHD as well but like I said it's just not every disability has the same, it's not even, not even disability has the same characteristics. It's like also the same as not every person's going to have the same characteristics, disability or not. She, Skylar loves people so much. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be an adult or a kid. The adult part kind of scares me because I worry about stranger danger. I'm, I'm just that type of mom, but yeah, um, no, we all should. She's like that with adults and uh, kids kids especially. So it's kind of, it is kind of hard and she doesn't do it out of ignorance or to be disrespectful. She does it out of love, but not everybody understands that, you know, yeah. and it was kind of hard for her, um, during COVID too. Cause she's just like, she's like, I don't understand why I can't go and play with people. I can't, she didn't understand. Not a lot of kids did, you know, and, they still and it's just, yeah. Now that uh, getting closer is getting more accepted now, um, yeah. she's, you know, she's back to, you know, because now she's seeing kids get together when we drive by or whatever. Now, so now she's saying, oh, I can now she's got, gone, gone back to the, oh, getting in boundaries, you know, thing. And yeah, um, my struggle with the boundaries thing, this was more when she was a little bit younger before the diagnosis, but she would always want to touch babies and close to babies. And I'd get snapped by the mama bears. like don't have your child get close to my baby. I go, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I, she's not doing it on purpose. And they just did not care. They snapped at me. And I, I guess I can understand that with a new mom and the baby, but at the same time, you know, give me grace too. My daughter's still learning, you know? Yeah. 
And that's that challenge because she, you know, again, you know, autism can be an invisible disorder for some people. And she is, Skylar is so delightful and engaging. And I think too, she's very social, which I think a lot of the general public don't understand that individuals with autism can be very social and want to socially interact. So then they just assume that, you know, she just is a neurotypical child, if you will. So um, it's frustrating when that stuff happens, but um, and also another thing that daughter has a hard time boundary wise is when it comes to communication, because my daughter has a hard time with waiting her turn when it comes to talking. My daughter is an interrupter, a bad interrupter. <laughs> so I don't know if yeah, you've also that is a really, that. That is a really good point because Caleb is an interrupter too. And I actually, now that I think about it, he, we do get a fair amount of dirty looks when he interrupts people, because I think parents are pretty used to it because what kid doesn't interrupt, right? I mean, to a certain degree, that's part of what I have to coach my children. Like I'm talking, I need a moment, like don't interrupt me. So you redirect them, but with autism and just that impulsivity, you know, that goes with that ADHD impulse control. I, you know what, now that you mentioned that Taylor, that's a really good point. When you have a kiddo that just tends to be a, you know, a blurter, you know, and we work, we're working on it, but it takes time for them to develop those skills. That's a really good point, Taylor, about just interrupting people when they're talking. And do you find that there's age groups of people that are more tolerant than others? I guess it just depends. It depends. I think uh, any age group can be more understanding and any age group can be more irritated. I, I don't think it's necessarily age. I will tell you the yeah. least tolerant person in our world that deals with Caleb and his interrupting is his little sister. And she is neurotypical, but she does not like being interrupted. And yet she <laughs> is a violator of interrupting and blurting herself, but she has zero tolerance for other people interrupting her, but she has no problem whatsoever interrupting everyone else, including her brother with autism. So I think you're right. I, I find that in my world, if I was to really think critically of who gets the most annoyed by Caleb and his his interrupting part of it is he has Caleb has poor working memory. So his ability to hold a thought in his head and not forget it. So when it comes into his mind and he has an answer or he has something to contribute, he just interrupts. But, uh, I would just say my, you know, grandparents, grandparents just have a really hard time with kids interrupting because that's just so patient. Rude. Yeah. Patience. Yep. And, so if I was thinking critically about the people that get the most annoyed by Caleb and they are just really intolerant is would be grandparents being interrupted or most, most definitely. And I hate to interrupt you. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, Skylar. Uh, yeah. Sky. It's funny. Cause, uh, you know, I think Skylar's the same way as your Caleb, you know, once that thought comes in, she's so afraid of forgetting it and she's so afraid of forgetting it. And that thought will go away that she has to blurt it out because it's, I think it's a part of the brain. It's a brainstem stem thing. It's just naturally she has to pop that thought out to yeah. process it. Yeah. Completely understand. I'm guilty of that from time to time. As I get older, I have a hard time remembering what I was going to say. Fair. Like, I feel like, come on, like we're old, the older people on this. Uh, so if, I find that that is the case for me. Just as I age, my working memory sucks. And if I don't get it, that thought out of my mind, I forget it. And so that's why, as you guys talk, you'll notice I always write things down because as you guys talk, I think of things, but I can't blurt it out. So I have to write it down so that I don't forget it. 
And so that's my, that's my workaround strategy as an adult, but it's getting worse as I get older, I hate to say, but well, thank you for joining me guys. Does anyone have any final thoughts as we've talked, you've thought of other instances where you've gotten dirty looks in public that we might've missed? Well, this is more towards me, but I, uh, I know, uh, and I still do it to this day when, um, cause I, when I go out in public, I carry some type of, a string with me, whether it's a broken hair tie or a, just some type of a, something that's long and thin. And Pete, I get weird. I, I don't get the dirty looks, but I get the creeped out looks like the, Oh, that's really strange that an adult's doing that. Why is an adult doing that? You know, cause I've done that for how I, for, I can't remember how long I know that that's something I just can't stop. And, and it's just, it's something I can't control it. I, I mean, I, I know that sounds silly to say it's not silly to even control it, but no, it's not silly at all. And I, it's so funny because I, you know, now that you mentioned it, I do notice that you have a hair tie or something in your hands. We've talked about it before, but maybe it's just because I live in an autism world. And so I understand the value of having that fidget for your hands so that it just helps you think and concentrate. Maybe to me, it's just, I think it's very natural and I, I wouldn't think anything of it, but I don't think that I'm capable of thinking like a, a non-special needs world, sensory minded person. Do you know what I'm saying? So my daughter is the queen. She's neurotypical and she's the queen of fidgets. She has more fidgets than any of the people in my house. Uh, she's a real connoisseur. I would say she's just a person that, you know, she does have mild ADHD. So I think it does help her concentrate. And I just understand that it's useful. So whenever she finds a new fidget, she wants to try out. I'm all for, Hey, let's give it a try. I actually feel like Taylor for you being able to use a hair tie or a string is very like natural in terms of you have long hair. So I would expect you to always have a hair tie or something to tie your hair with. Whereas my daughter uses really weird fidgets that then people are like, what, what is that? And so then people are asking her what her fidget is. And then it becomes more, I guess there's more attention drawn to the fact that she has an unusual fidget or there's kids that, well, I want one. And then teachers get bent about it. Cause it's like, well, it's a distraction, not my problem. You know what I mean? But so for you, Taylor, I think it's actually a very natural thing that kid, what kid is going to care about a hair tie or a string that you have in your hand that you're using, as opposed to some of my daughter's more elaborate fidgets that tend to draw attention. So Good for you, Taylor. And I see nothing wrong with it. So it's too bad the world doesn't understand the value of that because that's just silly. Yeah, it's just, that's kind of, I feel like in a way it's kind of my fault. And, you know, it's because uh, people will see me break them up mouth just because I'm not thinking about it. I'm just, you go, because it's stretchy to me. And, yeah. and then I break it and then I pull a string and it's something for me to kind of play with. And then I'll even chew it on, on it sometimes without it realizing it. And then Joe will say, Oh, do you know your tune on? I go, no, I didn't realize that. Sorry. Cause I'm just so in, you know, and, and he's not getting mad at me about it. He just wants oh, me to be aware, you know? And yeah. So everybody does that Taylor. I mean, it, just, you know, people chew on the end, you know, chew on the cap of their pen yep. or you, you know, or you fiddle with a fiddle with your jewelry or you, you know, or people who need, you know, need to always be chewing gum. I'm a gum chewer or, you know, we all have our little things that mm -hmm. we do, you know, without even noticing it, or we do it to, for comfort or for relaxation or for distraction or whatever. And, and I don't think that is something that is 
um, strictly a, a, that's not just an autistic thing. That's a, that's an everybody thing. We all have those little things that we do. And some are just more noticeable than others. Yeah. And even people who smoke, I mean, that's, that's very much a, I need something in my mouth. It's a, you know, they have to have something in their hands. I mean, those are all just things that. That's funny that you um, mentioned that because my boyfriend's habitual. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now sometimes it, obviously it also has to do with the nicotine, but yeah, a lot of, yeah, but it's that feeling of something, something it's a a sensation, something in your, you know, um, anyway, sorry. It's, yeah, it was just, just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take much longer, but, um, okay. it's but basically it, my, my stemming with the hair, broken hair tie gets worse. Like, you know, it's weird. You know, some people love grocery shopping by themselves in public. Me, I, unless if it's, unless if I know it's going to be a quick trip, unless if I know exactly what I'm getting, um, cause you know, you know, with COVID, you know, I would just get out of the grocery shop to go in the house. You know, that ended up being a bad idea for me because when I'm by myself, I kind of, I know this is going to sound strange and I'm not schizophrenic or anything, but sometimes I'll have like voices, you know, saying, oh, did I forget something? Oh, do I really need to buy that? Oh, you know, and then I get shaky and then I have my hair tied and then I shake it harder, you know, and then I end up spending too long in the store overthinking stuff. And then I lose track of time. And it just, and it's not good. It's not really good for me to be by myself at a store in public because that's when my anxiety increases. When I'm with somebody, it decreases. So, and thank goodness for Instacart. Yeah, oh my yes. um, I love Walmart. As weird as it sounds, Walmart delivery. Yep. As weird as it sounds, I would rather go grocery shopping with my daughter than not. Oh. Whatever strategy you have to use, Taylor, I think that that's how, you know, I think it's, you know, that self-talk, believe me, Taylor, when I tell you, I have that internal voice that yells at me for some of my shopping choices as well. So, and that's the, do you really need to have this, Holly? Do you really need to buy that model or could you get away with getting like the one that's slightly below that? Believe me, Taylor, you are not the only one that has that. I remind myself, you really don't have that much money you should be saving. It's like, I'm like, okay. And, uh, so, but yet I, but yet I'll buy, I'll buy $20 worth of hair ties a month and break them. Yeah. But, oh, well, but it keeps me from biting my nails though. So it's kind of healthy actually. There you go. I think that there are worse things in the world, right? So no stress on that. Well, thank you, my friends, for joining me for this episode of Isaac's Autism the Wild podcast. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up here. And I thank you guys for being guests again. Yes, we have podcasted on this topic of dirty looks in public, but I just got to thinking that since it is a very popular topic and also we're living in the world of COVID, that things have changed and look a little bit different, but we just want to definitely validate out there that you are not alone. We are all, we have all received those judgmental and dirty looks in public. And if our parting message to anyone out there, that's just of the neurotypical population, you know, things that you can do to help is, you know, not stare, think about your body posturing, facial expressions. And then is there something that you can do to help the situation instead of projecting that maybe you're casting a judgment? So with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode and we hope to see you next time. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe and just remember we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.